0: Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Good morning, Living Word. It's good, good to see you here today. And good morning to those of you watching at home, those of you who are Uh, part of our Living Word family. Cannot wait to see you again. Those of you who are just tuning in, even if you're not part of our Living Word family, we hope to see you someday. Hope to welcome you to the Living Word family. Uh, But thanks for joining us remotely. Um, It's a new year. I think I mentioned 2021, they're calling it this time. And uh, tomorrow is actually, I think it's tomorrow, the 40th anniversary of Living Word Family Church. Yeah. Yeah, we've got a, a day coming up on uh, Friday. Friday, it's Friday. Uh, WBGL, tune in, and you'll hear uh, some spots. Some uh, uh, we've 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 bought the day now, where it's uh, dedicated to, to Living Word. So we've got. So they wouldn't let us say much, but you'll hear it if you listen regularly. It'll be on several times just to commemorate 40 years of Living Word. Um, and next Sunday, next Sunday, don't miss it. There'll be a special video message from Pastor Larry. Some things on his heart that he wants to share and kind of also in commemoration of 40 years. Uh, So plan to be here, as always. Uh, Meanwhile, did I I say it's a new year already? Did I say what they're calling it? 2021, right? All right, so covered that. Did you, did you, a new year, did you make any resolutions? Anybody still do that? Does anybody make new year's resolutions? No? Well, you think it's like witchcraft or something? It's, it's not. Huh? Uh, you know what, it's hanging in there at 10%. I believe this iPad is supernaturally powered. I'm going to go until it shuts off. (laughs) One way or another, right? Next week, we will begin our 21-day church-wide fast, and I encourage you to do some thinking and praying about what it is that you're going to lay aside for those three weeks. We're going to be talking We'll be talking some in the coming weeks about the importance of fasting and, in particular, the importance and significance of a corporate fast. But for now, I just want to remind you of some things about fasting that I always remind you of this time of year. Uh, and that is, you know true, what is a true fast? A true fast is abstaining from all calories, and some would say all stimulants as well, for a specified period of time. Uh, but what we do for an extended fast like this is usually something that's, that's referred to as a type of Daniel fast, meaning uh, we will only, uh, you, you choose something or let God choose something for you that you will lay aside. Maybe a category of food, um, no sweets or no meat or no bread or something like that, or a particular meal. I will not eat supper or I will not eat anything after a certain time of day. Uh, but there might be cases Where for whatever reason, maybe uh, you're on a strict diet for medical reasons or something, maybe uh, you're unable to alter your diet significantly. So maybe you can choose something like social media, uh, phone games, television, something like that. The main thing is it really needs to be something that affects you daily, at least. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, I grew up in a dark time, 70s. a uh, technologically dark time. Try to imagine this. I know it's hard. I'm not making this up, though. Young people, imagine this. We had one way, only one method, one way of watching TV shows, movies, sports, you name it, and that was on a television. And we only had one television in the whole house. Can you imagine And it only got four channels, three networks and PBS. And the good one didn't come in very clearly. And they went off around midnight every night. And we couldn't record TV shows. You watched it when it was on or you missed it until it was rebroadcast. And for a while there... uh, 10 or 11 years old probably there were two shows that I really liked to watch every week one was Kung Fu remember and one was the greatest show of all time The Six Million Dollar Man but there was only one TV in the house and I have three sisters and one of those shows I think it was Kung Fu but it might have been Six Million Dollar Man was on the same night as anybody remember? Donnie and Marie, which is what Cheryl wanted to watch. And we kind of had, I remember a discussion about this because I don't think Lisa and Lori, they may have been, I'm not sure they were crazy about Donnie and Marie, but they definitely weren't into the $6 million man or Kung Fu. And so it's like, they talked about maybe a four-way rotation. Everybody got to choose one week what we were going to watch. I'm like, no, because they all choose the same thing. They're all getting their choice. Next week it's my choice. So I got to watch it every other week. But that was torture, missing my show for the week. Now, there are thousands of different, different options. All different kinds of shows and channels and uh, dozens of ways to watch them. We carry these options in our pockets, don't we? I don't know where I'm going with that. I'm just talking about hard times. No, I'm kidding. What I'm getting at is if you choose to skip something like if it, if it's not dietary, uh, make sure it's something. Don't skip your show for the week. I know it's different these days but because you can catch it later, but it's like, well, my favorite show is this, and I won't watch it this week. Now, something every day. If you're going to lay TV aside, lay TV aside. All right? Uh, or all entertainment television. Maybe you only watch news or something like that. If you and, and if it's something dietary, make sure it's something that. Uh, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to skip my weekly super fancy cappuccino. No, something that affects you every day. All right. And there's a reason for that. Uh, you know, the the new year is as good a time as any to quit a bad habit or start a diet or begin exercising, the fast isn't really about that. What, we are, what are we doing? We are foregoing a legitimate pleasure for the purpose of increasing our spiritual focus. We are laying aside something natural in pursuit of something supernatural. And ideally, the time that you would normally spend eating is spent praying, or the time that you would spend watching a television show uh, would be spent praying. Uh, it's not always the case. Sometimes I spend as much time preparing food uh, that, that, that I don't like as I do preparing the food I like because uh, it's usually categories of food for me that, that I give up. But it's really about the, again, it's the spiritual focus. It's something that gets my attention. It's the very aspect of missing something and laying it aside that gets my attention on God, turns my thoughts when I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I am craving a hamburger I remember immediately, this is why I'm not eating hamburgers today. This is why I'm not eating hamburgers for three weeks or, or whatever it is. Uh, it's because I am pursuing God. And it, we train ourselves to turn our thoughts immediately to God and hopefully, prayerfully, increase our appetite for God's presence. We learn to feast on his presence, his word, and those times of prayer. We're, we're, we'll get into more details. Um, and that's, again, that starts next Sunday. And we will talk more about the fast then and the following week. Meanwhile, uh, it's a new year. Did I say that already? Yeah, resolutions. That's where I was going with all that. Resolutions. I want to talk briefly today about the difference between resolutions and commitment. Because there is a difference. You can resolve to do something. You can commit to do something. But resolutions and commitment are different. A resolution is a decision, even a proclamation that I will do something or that I will not do something or stop doing something. I understand there's more than one way to, to define the word resolution. I mean, you can talk about conflict resolution, but I'm talking about it in the context of I resolve to New Year's resolutions, right? I hereby, hereby resolve... In 2021, to lose weight, to exercise every day, to read my Bible, to pray, to be in church every Sunday, to save money. Resolutions are good. I like resolutions because they're concrete when you write them out. If you do, do them on New Year's, you write them out, you, 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 you speak them. Uh, and New Year's resolutions, particularly they're good because you see that date coming, gives you a chance to prepare, get in the right mindset, do whatever, uh, make whatever uh, changes you need to make in your schedule or your refrigerator to, to stick to that resolution. But they are notoriously difficult to keep because resolutions could be made in the heat of a moment. Uh, They can be made under duress. Many people, I'm sure, maybe people even in here, uh, have woken up with a hacking cough and resolved that day to never smoke another cigarette. People have woken up with hangovers and resolved to never touch another drink. Or maybe you just woke up just a little too sore, feeling a little too heavy, and you swore that day to start taking better care of yourself, eating better, and exercising. And it generally lasts until you feel better. Again, I think I shared with you recently about my, when I had that, my first uh, attack of sciatica and the doctor gave me these exercises that were very effective. They were easy to do and they didn't take long, but he told me the day he described these exercises, you have to do them every day and you have to do them forever. And I was totally down with that until the back pain went away and had stayed away for a number of months. And you just kind of lose the fire. Commitment, however, is attached to something other than yourself and your feelings. Commitment is connected by relationship. It's one thing for me to say, I resolve to get healthy this year. It's another thing. If I say that because I feel unhealthy or I don't like the way my clothes fit or I don't like the way I look, that's one thing. But it's another thing to say, I am committed to my wife. And I'm committed to my children. So I am going to get healthy so I can be a better husband, a better father. So I can participate, participate in more things with them. And so that I can stick around longer. So they can enjoy me longer and I can enjoy them longer. That's a commitment based on relationship. I'm going to do these things because I love Beth. And I love Riley. And I love Rainy. And I love you. I am committed, so I resolve to do something. Commitment is why couples go to marriage counseling instead of getting a divorce. Commitment is why we keep our promises even to our own hurt. As believers, uh, resolve and making resolutions certainly has a place in our lives, in our spiritual lives. We can and should resolve to participate in this fast. We, sh- we can and should resolve to be here every Sunday, every time we have a church service. We can and should resolve to read and study the Word of God and to pray often. But how many times have you started a Bible study or a Bible reading program at the first of the year and didn't finish it because of something like Something comes up, something like uh, Leviticus. <laughs> so, so what is our commitment? What's it to? Or rather, who are we committed to? Look at this. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. And we'll begin in verse 7. Exodus 19, 7. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Similarly, in Exodus, Exodus 24, beginning in verse 3. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all his judgments And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. This is at the giving of the law. All the people with one voice said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. Now that's, this was resolve. They were resolving to do what Moses had shared with them that God had shared with him. Joshua chapter 1. Beginning in verse sixteen, so they and this is this is right after uh, you know be strong and of good courage. That's this whole thing in, in Joshua chapter one when Joshua has taken over from Moses uh, in verse sixteen. So they answered Joshua, saying, "All that you command us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go, just as we heeded Moses in all things." <laughs> So we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words in all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. Now those are all three examples of resolve. The last example indicates a degree of commitment, but it's commitment to Joshua. And we know what happened after Joshua died. That's what began this cycle. They were, if they had a good, strong, godly leader, they were a good, strong, godly nation. And then as soon as that leader died, they would slip right back into idolatry and sin. But in Exodus 32, we read this. This is the sad, sad story of the golden calf. Moses is up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And he's receiving the law from God. And while he's up there, the people start getting restless. They're like, look. We don't even know what's become of this Moses. We're not sure what happened to God. He was here a minute ago, or for, you know, 30-some days ago, 40 days ago. Uh, We don't know what's happening. We can't sit here forever. So Aaron, make us a new God, and let's get moving to this land that God told us about. And incredibly, Aaron complies. He collects their jewelry. He molds this golden calf out of the melted-down jewelry and then that's when God tells Moses what happened. You're not going, well, we've been up here talking, well, I've been writing these tablets for you and giving you my law. Do you know what happened to those people, those stiff-necked, corrupt people? They have built an idol. They've already turned from me, the one who brought, this is, here's what he says, actually. Those people, your people that you brought out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. So Moses, stand aside, because I'm going to wipe them out. I don't need them. I'll start all over, all over with you. I'll keep my promises, but I'll do it to you. I'll do it through you and your descendants. Still a remnant, one man remnant of 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 Abraham. And Moses responds by saying, "Lord, they're your people, and you're the one that brought them out of Egypt." And it's your reputation and glory that are on the line. If you wipe them out, you know who's going to hear about it? Egypt. And they're going to say, wow, he sure went to an awful lot of work to get them out of here, and then he couldn't do anything else. Went through all the plagues, the Red Sea, drowned in the army, took them out there, and then killed them in the desert. But, Lord, if you're going to destroy him, if you're going to blot him out, blot me out too. Otherwise, forgive them. This is bold. And if you think I'm exaggerating, read read it. Read chapter 32. But this is Moses' commitment to the people. He knows that God raised him up for this reason. And his desire, his heart, is to see the people inherit what God has promised them. But it gets even better. In Exodus chapter 33, we'll begin in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here. You and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying to your descendants, I will give it and I will send my angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey for I will not go up in your midst lest I consume you on the way for you are a stiff-necked people. I'm keeping my promise because Moses interceded. I will drive out the sinful inhabitants of the land, and I'll see to it that you inherit that land, but I'm not going with you. So the people, they remove all their fancy clothing and their ornaments, and they're standing there kind of, what are we going to do now? They realize this is kind of up to Moses at this point. This is bad news. You don't want to hear that from God. I'm not going with you anymore. But, the truth be told, most of them probably we're thinking okay so god doesn't like us anymore but at least he's still giving us what he told us he was going to give us we still get the land it's all good right we don't have him but we got the stuff he promised and that's really okay kind of what matters to them we don't have god but we got stuff Meanwhile, Moses goes and sits before God and has this fascinating conversation with him, and we'll pick it up here in Exodus 33, beginning in verse 15. And he said to him, Moses said to God, then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses says, Look, I want to go into this land. Just the way you've described it makes me want it. The fact that you promised it to us all those years ago makes me excited to see it. The land flowing with milk and honey. Fields already planted. Vineyards already planted. All these good things. But more than that, I want you, God. I want your presence. If it's the land of milk and honey without you, or if it's, or if it's here in the desert with you, will stay in the desert. Don't send us if you're sending us away. It's not the stuff and the land that's going to make us different from the nations around us. It's you. It's God. Now this is commitment. This is Moses' commitment to God. God. Moses' relationship with God is what drives his prayers. Anything, even something good, like a land flowing with milk and honey, is not to be desired if it means distancing myself from God. Probably shared this with you before. Many of you have probably read it. Susanna Wesley, mother of uh, John and Charles Wesley, uh, was asked by John for a definition of sin and she, uh, she, I don't think she gave this off the cuff. She thought about it and came back to him and, get, and said this. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, takes off your relish for spiritual things, whatever increases the authority of the body over the mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may seem itself. That's pretty good. Can I read that again real quick? Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, takes off your relish for spiritual things, whatever increases the authority of the body over the mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may seem in itself. Now, this verse also shows God's commitment to Moses and to his people. We've talked about this before. Uh, this is a different sermon, so I can't preach it here. But just as a reminder, when we, when we look at the boldness of Moses saying, uh, I'm not going to move. You're telling me to stand up here beside you while you blast him. You can't do that, God. Uh, you know, like he, uh, if you kill them, you're going to have to kill me. Did, did Moses really strong arm God into changing his mind? You know, when you read it in the, the old, old King James, God repented of what he was going to do. <gasps> was God going to sin? That's not what that means, does it? No. And it wasn't God in this rage and this fury and Moses had to soothe him and calm him down. That wasn't it either. What was the whole point? He's up there with Moses. Moses didn't know what was going on down the mountain. God told him. He could have said, hang on a second, Moses. Moses. Of something else to attend to in the universe. Gone down there, killed the people, come back up, and continue on with Moses. But he didn't. He says, I'm going to destroy these people because they've corrupted themselves. Why did he tell Moses that? Because he knew Moses would intercede for them. That's what he wanted but he had to have a covenant partner interceding. He had to have somebody in right standing with him interceding on the people who weren't on behalf of the people who weren't in right standing with him. Same deal with Abraham. That's why he told Abraham he was going to Sodom and Gomorrah so that Abraham would intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah. Wants to use us that way too, doesn't he? But what a thing to hear from God. I will do this thing that you have spoken. Shouldn't we be the ones saying that to God? All that you have said we will do. They did say that, didn't they? Only when God says it, I will do this thing that you have spoken. Wow, look at John chapter 14. Something kind of similar here. God the son this time. John 14, beginning in verse 12. Most assuredly I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you believed just that one verse, would it change your prayer life? If you really believed it. And some of you are like, well, Scott, it's not that I don't believe the Bible. It's just I've asked for things that I haven't seen happen yet. We'll get to that because prayer and fasting go hand in hand. But what a phenomenal thing to hear from God the Son. You ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, is that a resolution that Jesus is expressing or is it a commitment? Just how committed to us is Jesus? You read this chapter in John, and you begin to appreciate the depth of relationship and love that God desires to have with us. How committed to us is Jesus? He's all the way committed. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, and to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. He gave his life for you. There's no question how committed God is to us. How committed are we to him? The more we know him, the more we love him. And the more we love him, the easier it is to do the things he commands. I have to tell you a short version of this story because I'm down to 5%. No, I was going to make it a short version anyway. Uh, And bear with me, those of you who remember me telling it before, but Beth and I were in Branson many, many years ago and met a couple older couple. And uh, I say this every time I tell the story, one of the greatest regrets of my life is that I didn't get their phone number, address, or some other way to keep in touch with them because they were a fascinating couple. They were from Russia. And uh, she escaped uh, through war-torn Europe during uh, the early days of World War II, made, it, made her way to, I think, Florida, wasn't it, Beth? where uh, Natasha wound up. Their names were literally Boris and Natasha. I'm not making that up. And they were aware of the connection, the joke, when I laughed when they told me their names. But uh, just a beautiful, strong, and vibrant older couple sharing their story. And he stayed and he fought. He was only 16 or 17, and he became like a sniper over there. He uh, killed his way out of one Russian city and, and just kind of fought his way. Uh, through the war across Europe, and then, and years, you know, two, three years after uh, he had uh, sent her away, he, he uh, comes to the United States, somehow through some miraculous chain of events, finds her, they marry, they raise a family, and the story was just one example of hardship overcome after hardship overcome. It was exciting, and they're telling the story with smiles on their faces. But the things, you know, just the language barrier, neither one of them spoke English at all when they came over here, and they had to overcome all of this stuff, uh, and, but established themselves in this country and raised their family. And, and Beth and I are just, we we're hardly saying a word. We're just trying to soak all this in. Every now and then we'd ask a question. But we just expressed our amazement at what he was willing to do and put up with and endure to get to his wife, to raise the family, to keep them safe and provided for. And at one point he looks and he says, but you know what? It sounds hard when I tell the story, but it's easy to sacrifice when you love someone. Now, That's not to say the cross was easy. It just means it was love manifested in commitment that produced the resolve to go to the cross for us. When we think of all he has promised, and when we're standing on those promises in faith, speaking them over our lives, claiming them in faith, Or when we are rejoicing in the manifestation of those promises and just the the goodness of God, we must always remember what it cost God to bless us that way. When we meditate on the cross, on his death, we will more fully appreciate the resurrection and the victory that we enjoy now and anticipate for the future. Praise and worship team, you could be making your way back up here. Bless you, child. He purchased eternal life for you. And he purchased it with his own life. This is why it's difficult when I see people respond to the gospel message with disdain. I can get a little edgy when God is offering eternal life and people want to go, eh, I'm just not into that religious stuff. I get a little hot. I love people, and I want people to be saved for their sake. But I also just want to shake people and say, don't you realize what God had to do to offer this to you? Not only are you an idiot for turning it down, But it's insulting. God loved you so much that he held nothing back to purchase you back from hell and death. And you're going to what? Ponder it? Let alone reject it? How dare you? Don't you realize how important it is to God that you get saved? I love you. It's important to me to see all of you in eternity. It ought to be important to you to be with God in eternity along with one another. But sometimes I think we forget how important it is to God. He didn't just say, well, here's salvation. Take it or leave it. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. I've said this before, and I say it to my shame. I love you guys, and there is so much I would do for you. I don't think I could give my son for you. Sometimes I feel like I could, but in general, I don't. stand up. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.